KYW Original Podcasts. This is a Flashpoint Encore. I'm Flashpoint host, Cherry Gregg. Thank you, Flashpoint family, for tuning in to this encore presentation of my sit-down interview with Michael White and Chief Defender here, Bradford Gray. Take a listen. Our newsmaker of the week is Michael White. On October 17th, a jury acquitted White of voluntary manslaughter and other crimes in connection with the 2018 Brittenhouse Square stabbing of real estate developer Sean Skellinger. They found him guilty on a charge of evidence tampering. That decision sparked outrage. John's mother, Linda Skellinger, on WPHT. Larry Krasner needs to be arrested for corruption. In recent days, Michael White has been speaking out, and he is here in the KYW studios with his attorney, Kier Bradford Gray, chief of the Defender Association of Philadelphia. Welcome to both of you to Flashpoint. Thank you. So first of all, how you doing, Michael? Uh, I feel relieved. just feel real relieved. You made your first public appearance at a church days after the verdict. Why was it important for you to go to that church and address the congregation? At first, I, th- I thought it was just going to be like an intimate setting. I didn't really expect no media or nothing to be there. I thought it was important because that was the church where I surrendered myself at. So I just wanted to thank them for all their prayers and all their support and everything because like, it really went a long way. And I just wanted to appreciate them for what they did, you know what I mean? Like, nobody has to ever do anything for me. So I just felt like it was only right if I went there and I spoke. And you apologized to the Skellinger family at that time. I was sorry for the loss that um, that they had to experience that because no one ever wants to lose a loved one. But um, I just wanted them to know that I felt, I felt remorse, and I didn't want them to think it was just some apology tour, anything like that. I just, I wanted them to feel where I was coming from out of my mouth because I wasn't able to speak for like 15 months to them, to the media, to nobody. Nobody ever heard from me. Nobody ever heard out of my mouth like, I'm sorry for your loss or I'm sorry or any type of apology or nothing like that. What was it like watching stories being told about you but not being able to say anything in response? I was reading like every article that came out about me. Like, I was just obsessing over it. I know the truth. So whenever I would read stuff, it would be like, this isn't the truth. But I was never worried because I knew I had my chance to speak. So I just stayed silent. I stayed focused on the goal at hand and just waited. What was missing? A lot of misinformation. It was a lot of um, suggestive comments. Like, he was this type of person. He did, like, I can't really say. But he, like, you know, it was a lot of things that weren't really accurate. Like, the things that I said, the things that I did, the description of me, like, even the whole the college thing. Like, I was a year out of college going back. I was supposed to go back that fall, but everybody just got it mixed up. Like, oh, he was home for the summer, this, this, and that. It was just a lot of things being misrepresented in the media, like, about my character, about the decisions I made, about the actual event, what happened. Uh, obviously, charges have been filed against you, and then there was a gag order. Did you walk around? Did you stay in? What what were you doing during that time? Like after the time where I got off like house arrest and everything, I was looking for work. I know I was going through all these legal things, but like I still had to support myself because like it's not like I was a kid. I was twenty. I had to get money to support myself. Like I was living with my aunt, but at the same time, it's like I don't expect my aunt to do everything for me. You know what I mean? Like I got to get up and do things for myself if I ever want to be in a, a self-sufficient adult. So I was just looking for jobs. They telling me no. People didn't heard about the case and everything. Nobody wanted to hire me or nothing. So it was just like a period of just looking for work and just coming up short. The the of course you know there was a lot of 
discussions by the family of Sean Skellinger. Um, lots of things being said. Uh, they are upset, as you can imagine. Um, how do you deal with that part of it? Because they they may never forgive you for this. Yeah, I, and I understand that 100%. Like, I've already come to the terms that they may not ever forgive me, ever. Because um, well, I've seen, like, friends of mine who've been grieving their loved ones who don't even know what happened or who killed them. And I understand they pain because I'm, I'm living it with them, like, I had a friend who got shot in Baltimore, and I haven't had the opportunity to go down there and, like, really talk with his family or anything like that. But it's like I, I can only imagine, like, the pain that they going through because they don't even know who shot them. They probably will never forget the person who did that. I know what it's like for a grieving family to feel that way. Like, I, I was a part of a grieving family before, too. So it's like I understand. I'm not – I don't have no type of hate in my heart toward them. It's like – it's unfortunate what happened, but I understand. So I want to bring you in here, Kier, a little bit because you're the chief defender. Typically, someone in your role does not come into the courtroom. Why did you take this case and decide to come back to the courtroom? It was the Defender Association that started this case a year before I decided to come in. Yeah. And they were really representing Michael White um, pretty stellarly. There was just something that I saw in Mike that just struck me, struck my, my, my chords, saying, um, I think I want to get into this case to really bring about some of the undertones that need to be brought out. And I thought that I was in the best position to do that because it really meant something to me, not just from a career standpoint, but from a life standpoint, looking at young black boys into this system and being characterized and mischaracterized in ways that allow people to do what they want with them. And when I saw Mike a few times at Uncle Bobby's where he was working at the time, just watching him and, and observing him, I didn't see what I had been reading. And mm-hmm. something about mm-hmm. him just just made me think of my son. As I was looking at him, that those eyes, the deer in headlight look, I'm looking at my son and I'm just saying, it's just, like I said, it started just from my heart. Um, if I would have thought about it seriously at the time that I decided to get into it, I probably would have talked myself out of it for a number of reasons. You know, I think I was talking to you one day and everyone, when I decided that I wanted to join my team um, and shout out to the Defender team because Jonathan Strange, Dan, Dan Stevens, amazing lawyers. But when I decided to join my team, um, a lot of people told me, uh, thought I was crazy, said, you have nothing to gain, everything to lose. And um, it was pretty bad in terms of people telling me that I should not be involved in this case. But there was just a sense of responsibility that I had that sometimes you know how you can't explain it. It's just there and you feel it and you just go for it. And something about whatever stars were aligning, something about me believed in him in terms of who he was and what an asset he was to his community uh, that I just felt like I needed to lend my voice. Like when that verdict came what went through your mind? Just a whole bunch of relief. Um, I really didn't know what to think. Like when it when it happened, I was just I don't want to say I was numb because I did feel something. I just can't describe what that feeling was. It was just like I was shocked. Not saying that you know I didn't expect it, but I, I wasn't expecting anything. That's the best answer that I can come up with it for that. Like, you was just, like whatever. You had resigned yourself to whatever the the fate is. That's what it is. Yeah, because I just early on when this case happened, I put it in my mind that um, whatever the outcome may be, I'm going to have to live with 
the fact that this event happened, regardless if I'm guilty or not guilty. So it's best to find peace with the situation and not so much the outcome. Because say if I was found guilty of voluntary manslaughter, I would still have to go to jail, come home, and live with this situation. If I got found not guilty, I would still live with this situation. So it wasn't so much the outcome I was worried about. It was so much finding peace with the situation. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, Kiara, you have risked your reputation for this. Also, it's like a personal thing as well, Mm -hmm. your reaction to that verdict. I think I squeezed Mike's hand. I thought I was going to break his hand. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Look, I, I, you never know what to expect. You, you you do your best and you put it all on the line. And at the end of the day, it's someone else's decision. Um, I think the fact that we had diverse jury that could understand some of the things that uh, I was bringing out in terms of the undertones of the case, um, there was a racial aspect to this case that needed to be addressed. And I, 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 I could not shy away from that. If I did, I'd be untrue to myself. Uh, in knowing what I know experience-wise and career-wise as to how, um, you know, race plays a big role in what we do in our system. So I don't even see that it was uh, an impact to my, what do you call, did you say brand per se? Reputation. Reputation. I don't see it was that because I think anyone who knows me knows this is me. Yeah. Um, the this thing, is, yeah. Well, you, and you know it. Um, yeah. This is what drives me. And this is what I live for in order to champion things that I truly believe in. So I thought it was right in line with who I was and what I came here to do and why I stayed in the role that I stayed in. And so honestly, win or lose, I was always wanted to be known as the person that did what they believed in, despite the fact that everyone else thought it was not a good idea. Yeah. And I got to follow up with that because some people said that, you know, the racial aspect of this didn't was unnecessary. Um, that the race cart was pulled in order to to gain sympathy for Michael here. What do you say in response to that? Um, I say that they're very naive to the real world because if they think that this is all about a ploy or a tactic versus real-life uh, experience and understanding, then they need to do a little bit more homework and understand how people, and young boys especially, are brought into this system and how the narration around incidents can really cause people to believe that he is not worthy for, of fighting for. And, um, you know, look, we're coming off the heels of a lot of this level of consciousness of how race plays a role in the justice system. And if there's any structure that still has an inherent uh, undertone of racism, it is the justice system. And I, I don't think that people like myself or people who are not like myself should really shy away from that or be afraid to speak on it because it's real. And ask anybody who's been in this system they can tell you how real it is. I know yeah. we just last night at the Pennsylvania Innocence Project with mm-hmm. oh, um, the Exonerated Five. I mean, Yusef Salon talked about how narration played a key role in them being brought into this system the way they were and charges being based and predicated around the media um, stories and, yeah. and hype that surrounded, you know, these young kids and who they were, what they were doing. $85,000 of ads being taken out so that it could influence the decision. So that's not left in the 80s um, or the 90s. That's still happening today. Do you think if any fact had changed, would, the, would it have affected the outcome? Because there's a lot of, I mean, the timing, too. Yeah. Talk about the timing. This is the same time we have other uh, big, high-profile cases that yeah. are dealing with the issue of race at the exact same time. Yeah, and I think that's what you just said is, is real. Look, 
everything had to happen the way it did in order for this to be possible. Um, I can't say it was one factor, but like I said, these things were bubbling up. Um, the understanding of how race plays a role in police, you know, decision-making, because this came off the heels of yet another African-American woman being shot in their own home. Um, and, and so all of these things are playing a part. And if people don't believe we need to stop, take a moment, and really talk about the role race plays in this system, from policing to the justice system practices to sentencing and beyond, uh, I think that we're going to miss a real opportunity to fix things and really reform our system. We have all these reform initiatives going on, but we haven't touched the issue of race and how that drives yeah. behaviors. Yeah, and people are afraid of the issue of race. And so what has been the reaction, Michael, to the verdict? What are people saying? What have, what have you, what has been the reaction? Um, I've been getting mostly support, some hate, but mostly support. Um, it doesn't really affect, like, my mindset because I know what I'm here to do, like, personally. I, I guess somebody who knows one of the um, somebody in the Skellinger family at DM me and saying all this hateful stuff. He said he was like a family friend or something like that. It didn't really affect me. I just I looked at it, I read it, but then I realized how much support that I had, and that's the part that I focus on. Like I know that there's going to be people who don't like this verdict, and there's going to be people who support me and are happy that I was um, found not guilty. But I think ultimately neither really affects me. I just have to continue to live my life and walk in my path and stay focused on that. Like, and you said you know why what you're here to do. What, what is that? I'm, I'm here to bring change somehow. I knew it since I was like 17 because I was in an accident. I, got, I was on my bike. I was like a day away from about to enlist in the Marines. And I got hit by a car. And I was in the hospital and... I woke up to my mom holding my pinky. She was praying for me. And she had told me they was about to pronounce me dead and all that. And I just thought to myself, like, damn, it could have been over just like that. So I've got, like, three or four second chances in life, so I have to be here for some reason. So that's why I think in my head, I know in my head that I'm here to bring some type of change. or I'm here, I'm here for something. It's just I have to continue to live to find that out. And I'm, I'm being afforded these chances by the grace of God honestly. So did this incident change you? This incident made me mature a lot faster. I got a couple of gray hairs now, for real. Like it's, it was really stressful, like behind the scenes, like just really weighing on me. Like I feel like it, it made me a better human. You know what I mean? Like just to be more human with people. Like I already had that mindset, but just like it made me explore that deeper, like what it means to be a human being. And y'all was talking about the whole race thing. Like, I, I don't know if he was racist or not. I don't know that man. We just met in that one instance. In that moment, what was said was what was said. And I'm not here to hold no race cards. I'm not here to say one person is this or one person is that. But what was said was what was said. And I feel like that had to be known. Have you forgiven yourself? Because at the end of the day, Somebody died because of that moment in time. Um, that's that's still something that I think about. I've forgiven myself in in a way. Not to say I haven't totally forgiven myself, but I've forgiven myself like in a different way because I, I know that I never meant for any of this to happen. So I forgive myself for that. 
I feel, I just I have trouble like showing emotion a lot of the time, and it's not because of me just not caring. That's just because of like all the stuff I've been through in life. Like I just I, I try to make myself calm in every situation because if I stress too much, then it just creates a ripple effect for everybody else that's around me. Like it's inside. Like I can tell you that it's inside. Did you did you feel there was some type of reaction to you because of that? Yeah, I, I feel like a lot of people thought that I just was like oblivious like you got this deer in the head like look like you don't know what's going on and I'm just like no that's not even that's not even it it's just there's a lot going on in my head like I process a whole lot it's just I can't make that available to everybody because not everybody's going to understand it what do you want people to know um I want people to know that I'm everything that I say I'm going to be and that is I'm a leader not a follower I'm I'm here to bring change I'm a human being and I I care about people. I care about people's mental health. I care about people's like feelings and everything. And you may not see that like expressed out in the public because it's not for me it's not a public thing. I'm not out here to like do this for any cameras or anything. I'm like real people have real problems. So the type of person that I am is I'm a community person and I'm going to grow into I'm going to grow into that eventually because I'm only 22. As I get older I'll prove those things, but that's who I am. That's who I've always been, and that's what I've realized throughout this entire like situation. Like, people have come from everywhere just to support me, so now it's my chance to go out and support as many people as possible and help change the world. So this is a second chance in many ways, and you plan on, on using fourth. it. You on your fourth, your fourth <laughs> chance. A fourth chance. Um, so, you know, are you you back at work? You trying to build a life? Are you going to go back to school? What, what do you want to do for yourself now? Uh, yeah, I'm definitely going back to school. Just now, I'm just focusing on stability. That's the most important thing. I don't, I don't know what the future holds, but just having a stable foundation in place, just in just in case anything happens. My life is so unpredictable. I, like, I, I just my main. My main thing is being stable and being prepared for anything that can happen. I can't remember another case that was this high profile for the Defender Association in a while. Me either. And you want to know, it's funny, well, I knew it was profile um, because when it came out, it was in the papers and all that. It had died down. I knew it was still interest, but I didn't realize so many people uh, had a personal stake in it, even though they didn't know Mike nor us. uh, It just had a different meaning for people in this city. Uh, for whatever reason. But when I had, after it was over, I mean, people have come up to me with just, people I never even knew mm-hmm. would just, you know, talk about how much this meant to them in terms of the system. Whether Whatever the outcome was, it meant something to them to see um, people fighting for what they believe in. Yeah. And fighting for someone who has value, who's an asset to their community, um, despite the unfortunate incident, uh, Mike has a lot of value. You can you can hear it in his voice. You can see it. And, and just interacting with him, he is a very um, empathetic person, and you can just see that. Whether or not his affect is just flat, <laughs> but getting to know him more as he opens up, um, you can tell he's got a person. He's a person with a big heart, and that's you know right after my soul because I feel like that's me too, and my son mimics that. I mean. All of these things, it's like it was like a kindred kindredness when I started to meet him yeah. and talk to him. I kept saying, you know, my son says that. 
<laughs> my daughter says that. It's just it was just so strange. I had never had a case before where I felt so passionately uh, immersed in it. I'm always very passionate and about my work, mm-hmm. but it was different. And that put a lot of stress and a lot of gray hairs on me. <laughs> I think she might have got a couple more than you. I think I got a lot more than him despite yeah. my dying. It, it's still coming out. Um, it took a lot. This case took a lot out of me. I mean, remember, I had to get up to speed on a year's work, worth of, of work in a month. And, one, I didn't know if that was the right thing for me to do. It was that smart. And, two, I hadn't been in a courtroom in a jury trial in seven years. And I knew I was you know, good at when I when I was doing it, but I didn't really know. And I still had, I had to get out the law books. I had to do all kinds of stuff. I mean, I was up some pretty late nights. Yeah, and you've never lost a case. Not a jury trial in state court. Not jury federal trial. court, yes. But uh, we, <laughs> so we won more like, in federal yeah. court than we lost. But yeah. honestly, um, this was what I was. Yeah. I thought I was born to do, be a trial lawyer. People have said that, look, the DA's office made it easy for you. They took... The third degree murder charge off the table. Your response to to that? Anyone who watched that case knew it wasn't easy. Um, there was nothing in Mike said that it was nothing easy about that trial. Two, uh, you know, when voluntary manslaughter is a lower charge than third degree, and if you couldn't get them on voluntary manslaughter, I don't know how they expected them to be able to find them guilty on charges that were even more malice involved. So let's just talk about the charges really quickly. First degree is what he was originally charged with. And this case was never, even if it was no, it was narrated uh, pretty poorly in the media, in my estimation. And that's premeditation. Premeditation, degree. lying in wait, saying in your head, words used, I'm going to go out and do this to someone. Or when you see someone's like, hey, I'm going to do this to you. So it's like an intention that that's what you want to do. First degree. Third degree is more of a heat of passion, meaning like if there was an actual fight and people keep characterizing this as a fight. This was not a fight. This was 72 seconds time span. And all that, what happened to him was not his willful engagement of a fight. Excuse me. <clears throat> he uh, spoke up about something that he believed was wrong and said words basically, can everybody just relax? You know, whatever his words were, that was the sentiment. He never intended to get into a physical altercation by calling out bad behavior. Because, you know, I call out bad behavior, too. That's just not what you're used to. And so if this were a fight, third degree may have been more um, proper because that would have meant that he was willingly a willing participant in a heated exchange that would involve physical uh, interaction. Everything in that trial said he was trying to avoid physical interaction. Their own witnesses at the preliminary hearing said he was backing up. He was asking the person to, to stand back. Uh, holding his hands out, signaling, I don't want to do this. So third degree would not have been proper because there was no sparring. You know, if a man and a man want to engage in a fight and something happens that's fatal, that's third degree. This wasn't a man and a man willingly engaging in a fight. Mike was attacked um, and he didn't want to involve in any of that physical activity. So Mm -hmm. if you really are conscious about the law and you understand the law, you know that third degree would never have been proper in this. Involuntary manslaughter, if you want to look at it through the lens that you looked at it and you want to put that on the table, that would have been the most appropriate. I mean, I don't believe, given everything we know, even things that couldn't come out of the trial, um, that that, would, that should have even been proper. But I'm glad a jury ultimately found and saw this case for what it was. He was afforded the protections of the law just like anybody else. 
Self-defense is a legal principle saying that if you are being, if you are in a situation where you believe that you're either going to be in, in, um, in danger of bodily injury or death, you have a right to protect yourself. That is rooted in the law. Yeah. Um, he deserves that protection just like anyone else. Yeah. Did this incident change you, Kier? I don't know if it changed me because this is like who I am. And what you do. <laughs> yeah, I just um, had to ask. Yeah. I can't say it changed me at all. I-, I can just say this, and I know Mike had a little hesitation about race and saying race card. I really, that term bothers me so much, race card. Race is something I live with uh, and everybody else in this nation lives with Mm -hmm. no matter what race you are you live with what the experiences that you have to deal with walking in your skin and you know to relegate it to a proposition that is only to be used to to benefit in some way is just so ignorant of the experiences that people have and I really wish that we can have an open honest discussion about race that doesn't offend people but enlightens people and has people joining together to really be the anti-racist instead of the non-racist and I'm still I'm on that mission now. I'm going to take it on. Uh, it's not going to make me very popular amongst every crowd. I get it. But quite frankly, if I don't use this platform for something bigger than myself or, or even bigger than Mike, then what am I doing here? Yeah, yeah. And this case is not over. Um, there's still more uh, to be done. Um, there's a sentencing that's going to happen. Um, Mike, how are you preparing yourself um, for that? I mean, you still have to go back to court. I'm, I'm just um, still staying focused on what I have to do to keep my, my life in order. I'm not out here looking for no trouble. I'm not here creating no trouble. I'm just focused on staying at work and, and building on my life and doing the things that I want to do and showing everybody who thought otherwise different. That's all I'm focused on. I'm just I'm not here to prove nobody wrong, but I'm here to show you who I am. That's it. All right. Any final words as we wrap this up? I just want to thank you for your, you know, steadfast reporting on these real life issues. I think that it's important to bring these stories to light in a way that's um, balanced. And so I, I just thank you for your journalism. I thank you for your, your sense of responsibility. Thank you, Kier. And congratulations on Journalist of the Year. <laughs> thank you very much. Thank you very much. Anything from you, Michael? I mean, you got to I mean, you. this is you. I mean, this is this is part of your life now, part of your history. And you have to build from this. How will you stay focused? Always choosing to do the right thing. That's 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 um I feel like that's that's the way not that I have to live life, but that's um that's the way I should live life. So always choosing to do the right thing. Well with that I wanna say thank you to you, Michael White. Thank you to you, Kier thank Bradford you. Gray, uh, for coming on Flashpoint and talking about this issue in the news. Thank you. After I completed the interview with Michael White and Kier Bradford Gray, I contacted the Skellinger family and I got a call from Mark Skellinger, Sean Skellinger's father, and this is what he had to say. So I just wanted to give you the opportunity to comment. Um, As I mentioned, I had uh, Michael White here today and Kier Bradford Gray. Um, Michael gave an interview talking about just sort of how he's been dealing with everything. And he did apologize to the family and talked about what it was like, you know, not being able to speak and say anything until the trial. And so I just wanted that was the context of the interview. First of all, I'll reiterate what I said on your sister TV station that, you know, when, when you're when you're a child, you're taught if you want to apologize to someone, you do it to that person face to face. Doing it via the media sort of speaks for itself. It's it's very self-serving. 
and uh you know it's for it's for the public and it's for other charges that he has pending that weren't able to be brought up in court. The thrust of my comments without hearing what was said is is very simple throughout this trial since the trial since before the trial, Sean has been portrayed by defendant and his legal team of six to be a racist and they dug up people from a bar fight 11 years ago. Okay, Sean drank. They trashed him in every way imaginable, searching through his past. What they didn't find, because it doesn't exist, is anyone who could ever say Sean uttered a racial epitaph, was a racist in any way. There was absolutely no corroboration during the trial of what White said. Nobody else heard it, because that's not at all who Sean was. And that's my whole focus. And I'm not letting that go until the lie is acknowledged. I know why the lie was said. This whole case was racially based. And they had to do that. Sean Scalinger was not a racist. And his entire life reflects that. His entire life. Thank you. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to add? Because I will say this, that um, Kiera Bradford Gray offered, she said, after I guess this uh, concludes um, they would all, of course, like to meet with you all. I mean, at this point, I guess. Uh, and so she I'll leave it there. Out. She can she can do that, not via the media, if that's really what she's after. But yeah. she's already, the damage has been done. It's been put in the paper. It's been put in the press. He's been smeared. He's been trashed. He was put on trial. There were things about his past that could be brought up. Again, n- none having any evidence of any racist behavior ever, ever. As a matter of fact, his entire life from dating African-American women to, I mean, I, I, it's disgusting you have to say it. His entire life shows that that is not who or what he was, and that was the entire basis of the defense, and it worked, and it's a lie. I just want the truth Got to it. come out. And until he says to us, Sean didn't say that because he didn't say it, And until she takes back all the smearing comments that were done during that trial, and then there's people that, my son's in education. He works with African-American students. Now they look at him sideways because, oh, your brother was portrayed this way. I taught African-American authors to minority students most of my education career. I mean, it's it's an absolute disgrace. And we've just been trashed and smeared, and his memory's been crushed. And uh, and now his killer is being celebrated. Well, I want to say to you, um, Mr. Skellinger, I, I'm deeply sorry for your loss here, um, and I appreciate your comment. Is there anything else you'd like to say? I think that'll do it. That's it for the Flashpoint Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this exclusive content. Follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Flashpoint Show. You can also follow me at Cherry Gregg. If there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know and we'll walk you through the flames. As President Barack Obama once said, we have to uphold a free press and freedom of speech because... In the end, lies and misinformation are no match for the truth. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening.